Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Reports Weekly Cyber Report, sponsored by Fortress Information Security. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Joining us today is cyber legend Jeff Mann, who, over his extraordinary 40-year career, worked at DOD, spent a decade at the National Security Agency as a cryptographer, who worked on some of the agency's hardest problems, including supporting special operators in the field. He was also one of the founding members of a group of hackers whose job was to penetrate the agency's and government's defenses. This red team worked in what was called the pit. Uh, That was an even more secret part of what was already one of the world's most secret organizations, assessing threats and vulnerabilities. He has consulted, advised, mentored, and evangelized, and he is now a senior security consultant uh, for online business systems and IT services company. He's also affiliated with Hack for Kids program and the co-host with Paul Asadurian of Paul's Security Weekly, one of the longest running uh, cyber programs in our ecosystem, having been on the air for 15 years. Uh, Jeff, uh, thanks so very much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. I am looking forward to our fast-paced and hopefully informative conversation. Indeed, uh, and I uh, hope uh, it is the first time of, of many times. I should also have said that you uh, not only designed some of uh, NSA's most secure cryptographic systems, but you also broke into them, right? Uh, improving <laughs> uh, s- uh, security overall, right? You, Jeff, think about it this way. You've achieved legendary status on sort of the 10% of what you did that we can discuss as opposed to the 90% we can't discuss. Uh, so uh, I, I look forward to reading the book in 50 years uh, about all of the great stuff the great stuff that you've done. Uh, before we get started, our daily coverage is sponsored by Bell. Uh, our global coverage is sponsored by Leonardo DRS. Fortress Information Security sponsors our weekly uh, cyber report. Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage. And Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage and our coverage of the Association of the United States Army's annual meeting and trade show uh, was sponsored by Safran and Leonardo DRS. Uh, Jeff, you were a first-generation hacker uh, at NSA, uh, and there's so much I want to discuss, but I want to start with the question of uh, which you discuss often, right? Mm-hmm. What is and isn't a hacker and why it matters? Yeah, it's a great question, and I will try to provide a concise answer. I, I give whole talks on this. Um, uh, I, I would not have described myself as a hacker until I started doing computer hacking uh, at NSA in the early 90s. And of course, you know, there were movies back then that had come out, uh, war games and sneakers and cleverly enough titled that movie called Hackers. Um, most people, when they hear hacker, they think computer hacker. Most people or many people, especially in the media, they they ascribe that term uh, to the bad guys. Uh, I try to distinguish that hacking is neither uh, a good thing or a bad thing. It's it's really uh, I've come to believe it's really more of a, a state of mind. It's a it's a way that you see the world. It's a, and I would even say that I've been a hacker my whole life. I've only done the computer hacking for a small portion of my life. But you know what is it that makes me a hacker or calls myself a hacker? I, I see the world differently. I, I'm always curious. I'm I'm always trying to figure out is there a better way to do things? How do things work? How can be, how can something be done differently? How can it, how can it be done better? I think you know. In my early days at NSA, I was actually trained as a cryptanalyst. Uh, analyst is in the title, and later on, I became an information security analyst. Uh, again, analyst was in the titles. Uh, uh, I grew up liking to do puzzles, crossword puzzles, logic problems, uh, crypto puzzles, and things like that. So I've always 
I've always been kind of curious uh, uh, to, to see how things work. And that's really what I think is a hacker. Uh, ultimately, is somebody that just has a natural curiosity and uh, I think the ability to have critical thinking and, and think outside the box is an important factor. Um, it, it's a lot of different things. What it is not only is people that sit down at keyboards and and break into computers and networks and tablets and devices and the cloud and things like that. That's one aspect of it, but I, I think it's a much broader um, worldview, if you will. What is this, uh, the breadth of your experience, um, you know, t- teach you about sort of what the state of the threat is, how the threat and threats have evolved and how best to address them. Well, um, my classical training at NSA, uh, uh, I was in an office for a time, and it's really the office where we started doing the, you know, we called it ethical hacking or penetration testing back then. We we wanted to try to break into computers and networks, but that office was fielded systems evaluations. Uh, we were actually... Uh, you know, charged with trying to break into U.S. systems, U.S. crypto systems, you know, primarily ones that NSA had designed and built because we were sort of a one-stop shop back in those days, mostly machine systems, digital systems. There were certainly manual systems out there as well. Uh, and, and it was right at the beginning of the digital age, as it were. Um, the... Uh, one of the classical training things that I learned was something called a risk equation. And, you know, if you Google risk equation, you'll get all sorts of thousands of answers of complicated mathematical formulas and stuff like that. I've always tried to simplify things and I try to describe the risk equation the way I learned it as risk, which is the likelihood that something bad happens uh, is a, is a function throw in the math of threats, vulnerabilities, and what we called at the time countermeasures, but you know you can substitute security for countermeasures if you will. Uh, back in those days, threats—the way we looked at them—were people. They were the adversaries. They were um, the bad guys, uh, uh, and they had different motivations and different reasons for doing what they were doing. But they were largely people. Uh, so one of the things that has evolved or devolved, depending on how you want to look at it, is threats these days are much more what we used to call attacks or techniques. So, um, the, you know, there's always somebody behind the threats, but, you know, threats in and of themselves are some sort of an attack that's being, uh, you know, uh, launched in your way, trying to being attempted against your assets, your resources, um, and vulnerabilities are simply then weaknesses in your operations. You know, not just the technology vulnerabilities, but uh, vulnerabilities and processes, vulnerabilities in your organizations, your employees, your users, understanding of the do's and don'ts and good behaviors and ethical behaviors and things that they should or shouldn't be doing uh, that very often the threats are targeted to exploit. Um, 
you know, very common these days, very much in the news, uh, very much in, in this generation of security awareness training, at least in the private sector, which is largely where I work, is the whole idea of phishing attacks, you right. know, clicking on the links that are coming in from email primarily, but nowadays they could be coming in on your phone in the form of a text. They could be coming on any of the plethora of social media platforms <laughs> that you're on. Right. Uh, and, and it's not necessarily... It's not always clicking on a link. It's it's it gets very quickly into social engineering where you're getting somebody on the other end trying to get information out of you that they can turn around and use to gain access to your environment and and go on and and pillage and and right. steal and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, uh, I I you know it's it's uh, it's funny because I, uh, that's uh, and and we've discussed this before we got started right. I want to I want to try to get to the um, sort of the vulnerabilities. Uh, mm -hmm. Not just of TikTok, which is uh, in the news. Uh, it was a congressional hearing, I think, yesterday, where uh, you know the threat from TikTok was again discussed, uh, right. and then the ungoverned spaces of uh, social media. But I want to, you know, you you talked about sort of human uh, psychology, and almost mm -hmm. every breach uh, is an inside job, right? Whether it's an Eric Snowden or Chelsea Manning, uh, or um, you know, even the very smartest people fall for uh, a very carefully engineered trap, right? Solar winds, um, uh, you know, clearly started that way, where um, 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 you know the Russians gained access, uh, uh, you know, through software engineering or getting somebody to click on the wrong link at the wrong time, right? Uh, and and open a pathway. You know, you've always said that there are no solutions, but there are only tools, right? Mm -hmm. What what's the mindset, and what are the kind of tools that are needed uh, in this? In this, um, you know, I mean, it's you know whether it's for ransomware or penetration or espionage, uh, mm -hmm. right? We are humans are their worst enemy, including you know sometimes people in intelligence agencies. Yeah, I mean, I've spent a lot of time. Uh, over the years thinking about this problem because, you know, having been in this business nearly 40 years, uh, very often, uh, you know, especially like I'm on this podcast, Paul Security Weekly, and we do a news segment and, you know, we're talking about the latest breach, the latest compromise, the latest thing that's that's been turned up. And and you mentioned it's always an inside job. It depends. You know, it depends on how you define your terms. But uh, you know, I, I won't argue that for for right now. But uh, very often it boils down to one of two things. I mean, all all the compromises that I can think of, all the ones we know about, bubble up on, into two basic vulnerabilities. One is some sort of exploitation of passwords or credentials or access, you know, privileged or, or, or otherwise, and the other. Other aspect is, and this is a very broad, both of these are sort of broad topics. The other one is uh, exploitation of trust. Uh, and, and very often it's it, it, it might be uh, trusting that the tools that you're using are uh, secure and doing what they're supposed to be doing and can't possibly be abused or uh, used in in a in a negative way, but of course that's what hackers do is they try mm -hmm. to find uh, uh, 
extra ways of doing things or hidden features or hidden behaviors that aren't necessarily apparent in the early days when I was, when I was learning how to break into computers and networks back in the early nineties. I mean, it was almost always back then um, exploiting features of the operating system. It was mostly Unix back in those days, but uh, you know, we weren't doing clever things. We were just learning how, how the stuff worked and learning extra ways uh, of you know, getting a little bit more out of them. I mean, how do we have to change uh, our mindset, uh, right? Because this would be gotcha. really easy if it wasn't for the people, right? The system. What are, what are some tools that can help us maybe make better uh, decisions to avoid situations like uh, yeah. this? Whether so, it's through predictive tools, um, you know, asking you a question, are you sure you want to do that, right? I mean, if you have to close a box before you do something, what are, what are some ways that we have to actually think differently uh, about this, right? Beyond sort of national arms of power and cyber command, uh, you know, or NSA riding to the rescue, right? You know, having Jet, Jeff working this and his team working it from the pit, what are, what are different ways that we have to think about the problem in order to solve it? I think what it boils down to, and this is you know, simply my opinion, is we we have grown up in a world that is so technologically advanced and there's so much new technology and capability out there. And we really believe uh, as a society, I think, uh, in general, that technology solves all the problems. I happen to believe that technology is the, is the source of a lot of our problems. And what I mean by that is that I see, and I've been in the private sector for a long time. I see sort of two attitudes uh, in, in the companies and organizations that I, I do work for and I consult for. Uh, the first aspect is they think that security is basically somebody else's problem, that they don't have to worry about it. it that's not what they do. You know, their job is, in accounting or their jobs in marketing or their jobs in manufacturing or their project managers or you know whatever the role is um it's not their problem security somebody else has got the security problem so they don't have to think about it the the second aspect of that is they think that everything that they're using is necessarily secure all the all the tools and all the technologies and all the solutions that are in place and i'm not talking about security stuff i'm talking about just all the things that we do to to do our jobs um they think that they're inherently secure or protected and you know they 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 wouldn't be allowed to go beyond the boundaries and do anything and and that frankly is a lot of what gets exploited when it comes to the insider attacks and making people click on links and all that kind of stuff so Security, at least classically, has is, is always been talked about in terms of a three-pronged stool or three-legged stool, and it's a combination of people, process, and technology. That's probably not new to most people. Um, technology, I think you would agree, is probably you know 90% of the security industry is putting out tool after tool after tool after solution after solution after solution. Um, in the early days, I used to go in and try to uh, work with companies. And when I was pitching our consulting services, which is hire us to break into your network so we can tell you what all your problems are, what all your vulnerabilities and weaknesses are. And they're like, well, why should we spend money on you? We've got a limited budget. Shouldn't we be buying this solution, that solution, the other solution? And I would always say to them, well, here's a Here's a couple tubes of paint. Here's some paint brushes. Here's an easel, a blank, uh, and a blank canvas. You have all the tools you need. Paint, paint a masterpiece. 
And they're like, well, I can't do that. I said, oh, no, but the right person that uses the tools can produce a masterpiece. So my attitude was always, you know, tools are important and tools are necessary, but they have to be wielded by people that know what they're doing. And, 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 you know, let's say have skill and maybe talent to some degree. Uh, It's not just the tools. So that's technology. Uh, People are, you know, you've mentioned already, people are the weakest link. A lot of people think that. And most of what is done to try to train people is, you know, annual security awareness training or periodic security awareness training. That's usually pretty piss poor. And, and the first 15 or so years I was in the private sector, you know, mid nineties up until let's say 2010 ish, even 2015 ish, uh, all the security awareness training was all about picking good passwords. How do you do good passwords, change your passwords, make strong, robust passwords. The last several years it's been, don't click on the link. Don't click on the link training people, how to detect the the phishing emails and, and all the variations of it on the different platforms. Um, that seems to be the focus on people. I've boiled down to uh, in my 40 years, especially working with hundreds of companies, uh, I I see all the compromises as ultimately being process failure. Um, They might have exploited a vulnerability, systems didn't get patched when they were supposed to, but systems not getting patched when they were supposed to, that's a process failure because there should have been a process in place that that protected that and made sure that the patches were installed. um, you know, backdoors and firewalls, firewalls not being properly uh, uh, configured to protect against everything, people not knowing what all the rules are and what's being allowed in and out. And, you know, in the early days, the bane of most firewalls was that last rule that was any, any allow, which uh, was there more times than not because it made something work and that and and people stopped troubleshooting because well it's working now but not realizing that they were leaving things open so uh, to me that what's needed and, and you know looking back on my early experiences in the DoD I worked in organizations where there was a whole culture of security everybody understood the mission everybody understood their role large or small and and they understood understood the importance of the things that they were allowed to do and the things that they were being told not to do. And and the best I can come up with is it it was a culture. So I think the way we solve the problem is focus more, you know, the technology is a given, but training the people and training people to think in in a security mindset and, and, and try to create a culture of security. It's easy for me to say, how do you do that? You know, we're going to be, doing that until we are we're all at our at death's door and beyond right. it. um but it, <laughs> but ultimately it's to me i think it's putting the processes in place and of course a lot of solution providers will will talk about the the need for automation and yes it's necessary today there's so much data out there there's so much traffic out there to there's so many things to monitor but you still need the people behind it that are looking at the results and looking at the outcomes and have some idea of what the the solutions and the tools are doing and what they're not doing and and have some idea of what they're looking at when they do get the reports and the alerts and and, and things like that um it, it it's it's not an easy thing but i think it requires education and training uh and ultimately experience you know i i i've been in the business a long time and i came up sort of at the very beginning that's not going to be replicated so uh, and, you know, how do you get the experience you need? Get a job. How do you get a job? Well, you need to have experience. You know, we've heard that since we were, you know, right. 
youngsters. Uh, but uh, but I think ultimately that's what we need to shoot for in 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 tandem, balanced with the need for for tools and, and technology. Um, you you, you uh, mentioned that, and I, I want to try to get uh, to TikTok and social media in a minute. But mm-hmm. right, I mean, it, one of the reasons um, we started uh, bringing a hacker mindset into government was to change the balance of power between attacker and defender. Right? Mm-hmm. How do you characterize where that balance is? And how we need to train a new generation, because let's face it, Jeff, you're a bit of a unicorn, uh, right? Right. Uh, And our mutual friend, JC Vega, has been on this program and said, fundamentally, we're not training people the right way. um, Because, you know, we're now 1.5 million cyber jobs uh, short. So how do you address both prongs of that? You know, is is the balance of power now where it should be? Does it favor the defender uh, at this point? Uh, And... More broadly, how do we need to think differently about how we train a new generation because we keep falling behind uh, on a regular basis? Well, in a lot of ways, I think with, you know with the the explosion of the internet and you know what we called in the early days the World Wide Web, uh, uh, I, I think we kind of opened a Pandora's box. I mean, you know, you've brought up TikTok and social media a couple times. That's just adding so many more things to look at and so many more things to look, you know, be wary of. And so many, it's so much, so many more, uh, you know, areas where threats can come from and, 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 and areas where threats can, can be exploited. Um, I, I think we're ultimately losing <laughs> if we haven't lost, mm-hmm. frankly. Um, you know, the, the most secure organizations that I've worked with over the years were, despite all the regulation and compliance and following uh, frameworks and, and benchmarks and this, that, and the other, the most secure organizations that I ever worked with were, and, and I haven't seen them in a while, were ones where uh, I met people who were administrators of networks and administrators of servers and application developers and, and so on and so forth. The people that had the attitude, not on my watch, not on my box, and, and they did whatever they had to to uh, make things secure as they could. But they are also, and I think ultimately this is what security is, cybersecurity is monitoring, the ability to know what's going on and, and be able to detect the abnormal and the anomaly. Uh, an analogy that I've used for years, and, and uh, I'm not sure it scales these days, frankly, which is why I think that we're losing. But I was taught years ago that the way they taught bank tellers, remember when you used to go to a bank and there was a person at a counter that you talked right. to, the way that they taught bank tellers to detect counterfeit money was they made them uh, touch and manipulate manipulate real money. They would have them hold money, crinkle it up, fold it, smell it, feel it, but and do it continuously on and on and on and on so right. that they, they weren't good at detecting counterfeit money. They became good at detecting there's something different here. There's something weird here. This is not what I'm expecting. Right. And I, I, I frankly don't know how we teach that to the masses, you know, in our organizations, our employees, but I think that's ultimately what you need to do. Um, given that we can't do that, we, we have to fall back on security organizations that are relying on a lot of tools and so on and so forth solutions. Uh, and to me, again, the, the real security tools are the ones that are doing the monitoring and the detecting and uh, to the best of any technology's ability, uh, they're 
they're tracking uh, and measuring what's normal so that they're more likely to detect what's what's abnormal and anomalous, which may or may not be something bad, but I'll guarantee you the bad things that are happening are the anomalies. Uh, right. But that, you know, that gets into, uh, you know, going way back and people that were doing this for decades before I went to work for the DOD, but I, I was there at the, at the tail end of the cold war, but it was sort of the, the classic mindset of the cold war was this, this idea that it was a cat and mouse game, you know, uh, the Soviet union would build a new thing and we were like, Oh, how are we going to defeat that? But in a while we'd figure it out and then we'd advance our things and think, Oh, we're, we've got, you know, something good here. This is, this is great. It's, it's going to work for a while, but then the, the the Soviet union would figure out how to defeat it. And it was sort of this back and forth, back and forth. Um, I think that's what is continuing to happen. And that's what is going to continue to happen. It's just on a much more massive, faster scale these days. Um, Let me just very briefly, why do you think the battle uh, is already lost? Many reasons, but I think a because we're not, you know, teaching people the fundamentals. B, um, we're not teaching the culture. C, we are overly reliant on the technology, and it's it's not good enough to just have the technology in place without focusing on the other aspects, the people in the process. Um, I mean, I can't tell you how many times technologies have been in place that supposedly were going to stop us, and and didn't. You know, when we're, when I, when I used to break into networks Um, and there's just an 800 pound gorilla that I don't think we talk about enough. And it's, and it's somewhat more in the private sector, uh, but it probably applies a little bit to the, to the government as well, is that um, we, we have spent trillions of dollars as a society on security tools and protections and technologies and even consultants and advisors and things like that in the hopes of protecting against the casual, what I would call the casual hacker, the, the, the bad guy that's not looking to, you know, break into your company specifically, they're just looking for somebody to break into or somebody to exploit or somebody to you know do right. something that they can monetize. We don't really do a good job, especially in the private sector, outside of like, let's say the banking industry and financial institutions of doing the things we need to do pr- to protect against the concerted, focused, targeted, somebody's really coming after us. Um, because you know, having worked for an organization back in the day where we were going after an adversary, which was a a, a nation state, we we sort of had the budget and the, and the time. Time, I think, is a big factor to do what we had to do to go after that that organization um, or that nation state, and we would do it in any way that worked. We weren't restricted to this, that, or the other. We could try everything. Um, And I just don't see it as being, you know, for most organizations in the private sector and to some degree government, you know, especially smaller governments, it's just economically feasible to put all the protections in place at the cost that the, that they're, that's associated with it to protect against all the possible likelihoods of bad things that could happen. So you have to make some sort of risk decision. Um, you know, uh, we can't afford to protect against this. Okay. What do you do then about it? Uh, you, you hopefully put something in place that's going to detect if it happens. And I don't see enough of a focus on that. 
uh, rather than, I guess to put it another way, uh, there's this, I ask people, what is the definition of security? And I think most people think of security, if you can get them to a definition at all, uh, uh, see it as a state where you're impenetrable, you're impermeable, you're invulnerable, nothing bad can happen to you. Right. I, I look at security more as a, as a lifestyle. It's, it's a verb. It's something you do. It's a never ending due diligence, vigilant process where you're constantly monitoring and looking for things and, and trying to understand everything that's normal in your organization, uh, from, you know, from user behaviors to electronic digital behaviors to, you know, all the things that are happening in in hopes of detecting the abnormal that you can track down and hopefully trace to and minimize the damage of there's some sort of breach or there's some sort of a, attack that's happening. I want to go to uh, the question of certification, right? I mean, that's the only thing you didn't mention. Uh, and there's so much about our system uh, that is predicated on certifications, right? Uh, you're certified black belt in this, that, or the other thing. We right. have cybersecurity model maturity certification, CMC, which is important to the defense industrial base. That's mm -hmm. a certification uh, kind of approach. Right. Um, your old boss, Mike Rogers, has always said uh, we need closer partnership between government and industry, ultimately, mm -hmm. because the whole ecosystem belongs to uh, uh, industry. What's the role of certification in this, right? Because you've always had a little bit of disdain toward, um, you know, just sort of a certification mindset. And then I do want to get your sense uh, quickly on whether TikTok is ever going to be permissible and what problems we're creating for ourselves, you know, if we have, for example, an ungoverned uh, social media sphere. But just give me a real sense on sort of certification and the implications there. I think and the approach certification, I think, is sort of an, a necessary pragmatic evil, but it's it's. The idea that you're, I mean, the original definition of certification, uh, at least the way I learned it, is it's it's a measurement of uh, or proof that you have achieved a certain amount of uh, expertise based on your whatever, however you got there, whether it was education, specialized training, or just simply work experience. You know, I have a lot of work experience. I have decades versus of work experiences, which is why I don't go for a bunch of industry certification because I feel like I don't need them, but they, they're necessary, at least, at, you know, you're mentioning CMMC, which is, is an admirable program. And it's pragmatic in the sense, if it ever, you know, comes to fruition, the way it's been envisioned of at least, you know, measuring where you are taking a snapshot and saying, okay, you're at level one, two, three, four, I think, you know, six or seven, whatever they are. And here's what you need to do to get better. And, and, oh, if you're going to do business with the government, you've got to be here. So, it, you know, it's putting a stake in the ground and, and at least it's giving some sort of qualitative measure of where you are and where you should be. And I think that's appropriate. Uh, where I think uh, many organizations are going to struggle with it is, uh, you know, frankly, the cost of what it takes to get there. And it's not just the dollars and cents cost, but it's the cost of hiring the right people, giving them the right kind of training and experience to get them to the point where they're competent at their jobs, uh, keeping them happy, keeping them with you so that they're not going off to greener pastures right. and so on and so forth. The government versus industry thing is fascinating because, you know, I started in the government and I started in an organization whose job job 
was we called it information security back then. Um, and then I went out in the in into the private sector and industry in general, where there wasn't a lot of institutional knowledge about security. And so I was there to teach and, and try to help people explain to them what it all meant and why it, why they should care about it and how it mattered and how they should apply it to whatever their business was. The fundamental difference, though, is, again, going back to the risk equation. In the government, when I learned about the risk equation, the risk is ultimately some measure of threat to human life, whether it is our, our troops on the ground, our, our uh, you know, dignitaries and, and ambassadors and, and right. you know, State Department workers in the field, citizens abroad and at home and so on and so forth. In the private sector, it's really, to me, boils down to the risk of one of two things, your ability to earn revenue, because that's what most companies are in business for, and how much does it cost to conduct business? So, so it's a dollars and cents thing. And, and, and to the degree that the government and the industry can come together on that, uh, I think that's where they need to be. But, you know, we had, you know, uh, relatively unlimited budget when we were doing security uh, in the government and for the DOD where, you know, how, you know, how do you put a price tag on protecting human life? You don't, you do what you have to do, but you have to be very pragmatic when it's the, the private industry. Now, what's interesting is, you know, what's a target of a lot of attacks and what's a lot of the focus these days, critical infrastructure, operational technology, uh, areas that, uh, you know, ransomware attacks that are hitting smaller governments, you know, municipalities, and things like that, uh, places that don't necessarily have the big bucks, and so they've been ignored by all the security providers that are you know, looking to sell their wares, and they're looking for the companies and organizations that can afford it. So you've got all these companies that need, and organizations that need security can't necessarily afford it, and you've got the government stepping in, which yeah, I think is appropriate, um, and saying, hey, you know, you need to do more. We need to work to be work together better. What I find ultimately fascinating, though, is that the expertise when I started was all within the government, was within NSA, within the Information Security Organization. That's where the, you know, that's right. where most people were. Uh, but even NSA got to the point where. Uh, to find the expertise, they're going out to the industry because the industry paid better, and that's where the smart right. people went. Um, to me, it's all dollars and cents, and we haven't sorted it out yet. Um, to your question of TikTok and social media, right. um, if we had the ability to monitor those things, I, I wouldn't be as concerned about what they can do. But they, but the fact that they aren't monitored well, but they're so darned attractive to so many, and they're opening up yet another Pandora's box because you know the data that we thought was sensitive a generation ago you know, in my early days was, was pretty finite and, and pretty easily understood, but because of social media and, and, you know, the whole advent of industry and technology, we've got all sorts of new types of data that we haven't considered before, you know, like our behaviors and our, even our, you know, geopositioning, geo our location, uh, the fact that our smartphones are listening to us all the time, um, you know, it, it, it we're not there yet and maybe we'll get there someday, but, you know, I, I think the ultimately the solution from a security perspective is come, come up with the ways to monitor uh, looking for the bad things, 
you know, again, going back to the risk equation, you've got the threats, which are more or less constant. You've got vulnerabilities, which what I would argue is also more or less a constant. You, you know, we've been trying as a, as a society for a generation now to drive down vulnerabilities because that's the best way to drive down risk. Not necessarily the best way, but it was the, it was the, it was the most tangible way to say, look, we're making progress. But then there's that other thing, that countermeasure, that security, which I would argue is neglected and all the things that we talk about in security that are focused on threat and 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 threats and vulnerability remediation and reduction aren't even security at all. What is security? It's the monitoring, it's the detection, it's the response, which are terms you'll hear uh, used, but not necessarily in that in that context. How do you measure risk given that you have a, a constant threat and a contra- constant vulnerability? you do something with the countermeasures, but most of the money that has, that has been spent up to this point has been on driving down vulnerabilities, discovering vulnerabilities, keeping track of vulnerabilities. At least that's what the, the private sector thinks. That's where all the money goes to. Jeff, uh, absolute pleasure having you on the program. Thanks you very much. We're out of time, but already looking forward to having you back uh, on again uh, to uh, take a deeper dive uh, on any one of these uh, topics. Thanks so very much for joining us. I appreciate your time. Thank you.